The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another episode of the Bruce Exclusive a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. This is the last time that we will speak before the Buffalo Bills face off against the Indianapolis Colts in the wild card round of the 2020-21 season. Playoffs. Playoffs? I, I feel like I had to do that at least once, given the fact that it's the Colts. I mean, right? I mean, it's not like a rule somewhere. I feel like that should be a rule if it's not. You have to do a Jim Mora impression when it's the Colts in the playoffs, even if you're not on the rooting interest side of the Colts. It's just, it's right in the contract. I'm sorry. Just, I had to do it. So, as we always do on Fridays, we're going to do almighty takes. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to do crumbling their cookies. And as a reminder, you can get me your almighty takes. I am Bruce Almighty at Yahoo.com. And just so you know, I'm at the spot now where I get enough almighty takes that we may have to figure out something to do. Because these episodes have been getting progressively longer and progressively longer. And as we get more and more people who listen to the show and they keep sending in takes, I can't do an hour and 45 minute podcast on Fridays. I just, I just can't do it. And I don't know if I can really extend to three shows per week because, quite frankly, I have a hard time keeping up with the two shows per week that I do now. So just so you know, I'm getting a lot. Please keep sending them. But we might have to figure out something to do differently along those lines. So without further ado, let's dive right into them. Sean says, Bruce, Josh Allen will replace 30 to 40% of the OC load if Mr. Dable moves on. If Brian Dable leaves to go be a head coach somewhere else, Josh Allen will pick up a lot of the slack. I don't think this is a crazy take. You know, especially if they go in-house. If they go in-house and it's Chad Hall or it's Ken Dorsey, people who have never called plays before, 
I do think it will be probably even more collaborative than it is now. And it's always collaborative, at least it should be, between a quarterback and an offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator should call things that he knows his quarterback likes and is comfortable with. But I can see Josh Allen having a bigger piece of the pie. I'm not sure if I'd go as far as to say 30-40%. I mean, you think he's going to call 30-40% to of the plays himself? I don't think so. But I do think that if they go in-house with someone who hasn't called plays before, that increases the probability that Josh Allen will have a larger influence on the offensive system and design than he did previously. Connor says, Bruce, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. In hopes that 2021 ends up being our year, I would like to share with you a dream I had in the beginning of December. The Bills were in the Super Bowl against the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are down by four with enough time for one more play. Aaron Rodgers throws a Hail Mary with the clock expiring, and here's the improbable part. Jordan Poyer swats it down and goes berserk after winning the Bills their first Super Bowl. Totally improbable take, but I feel like I had to share it in case something similar happens. In case something similar happens, it has now been noted that you had a dream about it. And if it does happen, we're all going to come to you for our interpretation of your precognitive dreaming. I do think that would be a fitting end for the Bills season if they won the Super Bowl via a failed Hail Mary. A fail Mary, if you will. I think that would be good, especially since Aaron Rodgers has been known as one of the better Hail Mary players in recent memory. So, obviously it's highly improbable, but it's fun to think about. Evan says, The following are likely the most outlandish takes a sober individual has ever submitted to you. Bills score 60 in a playoff game. They also finished the Super Bowl run with the highest point differential in NFL playoff history. Josh Allen's Super Bowl MVP. Brandon Bean cements his GM wizardry, somehow extending Josh for eight years and re-signing Milano and Williams. Antonio Williams wins the starting running back spot in camp. Bills trade either Singletary or Moss at the end of preseason. Bills bring in a big-name former head coach who's looking to rehab their image to replace Dable, who leaves for a head coaching spot, with a team willing to wait for a good candidate until after the Super Bowl, rather than a team in shambles who wants to move quick. Holy crap. Evan, my man, I need to know what you're on, and more importantly, where I can get some. Because this sounds like an awesome fever dream. Bills scoring 60 in a playoff game. That's uh, That's something. Highest point differential in NFL playoff history. Super Bowl MVP. Antonio Williams starting running back spot in camp. The trading. Eight years for Josh. You know, I know you might find this hard to believe. I'm going to go highly improbable on this one. Andrew says six Bills players is his prediction. Earn all pro nods this season. Allen second team. Diggs first team. Daryl Williams, second team, Boho, first team, Bass, second team, Poyer, second team. Okay, let's start with Allen, second team. I think that's reasonable. Um, It depends on how people feel about Allen versus Mahomes and how how they performed this year. I think that Aaron Rodgers very likely is going to win the MVP, and he probably will be the first team All-Pro from a quarterback standpoint, so it's possible. Diggs being first team seems reasonable. Daryl Williams being second team, I don't think they will view him as the second best right tackle in football. Boho first team, maybe, but I don't think the remainder of the NFL will view it that way. Bass second team, I don't think so at all. Poyer second team, probably not because the fans were the ones who voted him in the Pro Bowl and the players and coaches didn't. And if there's any sort of connection between the player and coach hive mind and the associated press, then 
he probably won't be second team either. So I'm going to go highly improbable on this one. I like where your head's at. Let's do it. Sean says, the take, although highly improbable because the song has always been bunk, the PA will play Talkin' Proud for Frank Reich. I wouldn't be shocked. The The Bills DJ has been kind of on fire so far this year. So I wouldn't be shocked. Sean says, I love the man. My ma drove the school bus for his kids at times. My stepdad's brother, nephew, and his family received Mr. Reich's kindness and care when he suffered with cancer. Additionally, two of his boys were developmentally challenged. Mr. Reich played a concerned role in that as well. That man is awesome. Hail to the 35-3. I hate to beat him. Yeah, Frank Reich's awesome. If by some chance the Colts were to beat the Buffalo Bills in the wild card round, Frank Wright's the type of person that I would root for. Jamie says, hi, Bruce, huge fan of the pod from over the pond. When at university, I started watching the NFL and was recommended the bills by my best mate and his dad, Denver fans, based on my hometown and soccer team during the Rex Ryan era. I am from a small northern hardworking class town called Burnley, where the weather is generally cold and miserable. Burnley FC is a team which was historically very good in the late 60s, but has been completely irrelevant for the past 30 years and is disliked by most other fans and media. The similarities got even stranger when McDermott took over the Bills as Burnley had a defensive CEO-type manager called Sean the past eight years. Five years later, I'm now a diehard Bills fan. First off, I love these stories. These stories are fantastic. They just show you that it doesn't really matter how you got here. We're here now, so that's pretty awesome. His almighty take is the Colts will lean heavily on the run game and the defense will slow Allen down with the Bills to go into halftime losing. Only Allen comes out after the half with his hair on fire and clinches our first playoff win with a game-winning drive at the death of the game. I'm not sure if the Colts' passing defense is up to snuff. They haven't been great over the last couple of weeks. They've been giving up over 300 yards a game over the last couple of weeks, and their run defense has been really good. I mean, it's a good matchup for the Buffalo Bills offense against the Indianapolis Colts defense because they really live and die based on turnovers. And if they don't turn the ball over, then I think the Bills have a chance to put up some points. So I'm going to say somewhat improbable. I think that if the Bills can bottle up Jonathan Taylor, and they can make sure that Philip Rivers has to slow down his processing a little bit, which we're going to talk about later in the crumbling their cookie section. I think they have a chance to to really perform well. Jake says, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, O entity of my imagination. As you may remember, I wrote in a few weeks back speaking about the offensive identity of Buffalo coupled with the song by Rise Against, which I thought really personified the resurrection of the Bills franchise. While Rise Against traditionally writes extremely emotional songs, being a Bills fan is an extremely emotional thing. We talked about this earlier. You guys remember this? That aside, in true Bruce fashion, I am taking the L when it comes to the identity of the Bills offense. At the time, I felt I had a decent sample size to see what the Bills had and wanted to be, referring to it as the Borg, adapting to the pitch the defense gives them. I was wrong. San Francisco onward is what they want the Buffalo offense to look like. Throw it all over the yard, run to grind out the game. I saw the greatest defensive mind in Bill Belichick get so desperate, he brought house blitzes on a few plays to try and get pressure, and I guarantee you, even he probably thought it wasn't a great idea. 
Josh Allen has answers for everything in the book, and his mind is caught up to his body. So I'll take my L. They are a passing offense as an identity. On to Kenny Stills. He's too good to not see the field, at least in specific packages, even if he doesn't know the playbook. The reason he was out of Houston were injury concerns, and he wasn't getting the usage he felt he deserved. The things that players consistently get in Buffalo has been known to be a fair shake. An opportunity, Croft, Murphy. If I'm Dable and I can draw a place with Diggs, Brown, Beasley, Stills, and Davis on the field, I'm effectively drooling on the table. We'll see him on the field, even if it's for a very limited amount of plays, which is most likely scenario to start. Now, Dable. I think he's the next head coach for the Chargers, and it's not close. Looking around at the Jets, Jacksonville, Houston, no other job has the organizational stability, the roster, and the capability to win now. Plus, getting the chance to work with Herbert the way he worked with Allen is a unique opportunity. Having a relationship with the current GM is an icing on the cake. As much as I hate it, that team is Brian Davel's perfect scenario for a head coaching job, and it would take a miracle for him to stay. It's always a pleasure, Bruce. Let me know your feedback. Your podcast makes my Thursday and Friday. It's intelligent, provides balance to the insanity of being a Bills fan. P.S. How did you get started in podcasting? I'm curious about eventually starting my own, and I'm wondering if you had any advice or resources to use. Much love to you and yours. First off, thank you. Um, before I get into this, I want to make sure that I say thank you to those of you who have reached out and sent me your well wishes uh, regarding my wife who is ill and my dog who is ill. It means a great deal to me that I have uh, people who do not even know me who take time to type out their well wishes to me and to tell me that their thoughts and prayers are with me and their wife and the dog. And uh, that means a great deal to me, more than you possibly could could understand. So how I got started in podcasting, I got started in podcasting um, as a really bad idea that kind of came out of my mouth one day. I was uh, having lunch with Nick, my former co-host of the Nick and Nolan show, and we were talking about the Cleveland Bills backers. And I said, well, why don't we start a podcast? We could promote the, you know, the Cleveland Bills backers, which was fairly new, kind of resurrected at the time. And the second I said it, I was like, no, no, you know, that's a bad idea. And he kind of talked me into it and said, hey, you know, we should do it. We should try it. And we, we did it. And it just kind of it just kind of came from there. That's how I got into it. I didn't really have any sort of aspirations. I still don't really have any sort of aspirations. I just do it because I enjoy doing it. And that's how I got there. So um, I think of advice or resources. Uh, advice is you you have to be authentic. And I understand that that's weird coming from a guy who uses a pseudonym. But there is a very significant amount of authenticity to what you see from podcasters. You have to be the best version of yourself, for sure. You have to be on point. You have to care about the work. But don't ever try and be something that you're not because the listeners will smell it on you. They know. They know. And authenticity makes it more enjoyable for you. It makes it easier. It makes it less of a job and less of a grind. And just see how it goes. And if you are authentic and if your authentic abilities are worthy, the market will decide if they want to listen to you. The market gets to decide those things. Because there's lots of podcasts out there. And if people find what you do valuable, then they will consume the content. And if they don't, then they won't. So yes, be authentic, but also try to work on the skill. Because authenticity is about style. But 
style isn't the only thing that's going to get you listeners. It's the content that is multiplied by and amplified by the style and the style comes through authentically. So if you think about it like a math equation, it's content multiplied by or amplified by your style and the style is only ever going to be true if it's authentic. So you still have to work on getting better. I work on getting better all the time. I listen to my own podcast back. I listen for syntax issues. I listen for cadence problems. I listen for things that I say too often. I used to have this really bad habit of when I would get pumped, I would say the word right a lot. I would say things like, yeah, and then that's the way it's going to work, right? And then this is going to be happening, right? And then it, 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 I noticed it because I was watching back. It's like watching film on yourself as a player. So that matters. So that would be my advice. I'm sorry if I kind of got off on a tangent, but I think that's important. And I do have people who ask me that and I wanted to make sure that I did. So in regards to offensive identity, I've said this before. I think the Bills are a passing team unless there's something drastic that pushes them out of that. And that has proven to be accurate so far this year. When Bill Belichick rolls out a bajillion defensive backs and there's 40 mile an hour wins, then okay, sure, let's be a running team. But you start with a understanding that you're going to be a pass first team and then you go from there. So I agree with you. In regards to Kenny Stills, I don't know. I... I don't know if an offense like Dables is a spot where a receiver who just got here is somebody who can make a significant impact in his first game. I don't know if the Kenny Stills signing was a hedge against the health of some of the wide receivers that the Bills have. I'm going to say somewhat improbable because I'll believe it with Kenny Stills for this week anyway when I see it. With Dable and the Chargers... Yeah, it seems to make all the sense in the world. It really does. I have a hard time imagining a fit that's not better than that. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. But at this point, I would I would go as far as to say somewhat probable, even though there's lots of options, because it just makes too much sense. It was a little bit like Philip Rivers to the Colts last offseason. We all thought it was going to happen because it just made too much sense. And then it happened. Similar thing. Steven says, hey, Bruce, I feel like this week will just be more of what we've seen the last few weeks. I know the Colts have a great D in a run game, but our offense is playing lights out lately and isn't afraid of anyone, and our defense is almost back to 2019 form. Here are my takes. Number one, Josh Allen has an MVP-level game of 275-plus and three total touchdowns. Two, our defense sells out to stop the run and holds the Colts to under 100 yards rushing, forcing them to rely on Old Man Rivers. Huh, I never even thought about the Old Man Rivers before. That's kind of funny which results in a couple picks and ultimately takes them out of the game by the third quarter. Three, 13 plus point margin of victory. I'm predicting 38-24 with a garbage time Colts touchdown late. Four, Steelers rematch next weekend in preparation for our ultimate showdown with Kansas City. Thanks for your always entertaining pods. They've been a weekly ritual for me since Nick and Nolan days. You got an OG fan back there with Steven. I appreciate that, Steven. Thank you very much. So number one, I do think that Josh Allen is probably going to have a good day from a production standpoint against the Colts. So I'm going to say highly probable on the Josh Allen part. The interesting part about the Bills defense against strong rushing attacks is that when they have committed to stopping it, they've done a pretty decent job. When they committed to stopping Derrick Henry, they did a pretty good job. When they committed to stopping Josh Jacobs, they did a pretty good job. So if that is the focal point, I do think they can do it. I think that's somewhat probable. 13 plus point margin of victory, they're just not that common. So I'm going to say somewhat improbable. 
And of course, the Steelers rematch next week would indicate that the Steelers beat the Browns, which I do think is somewhat probable. Sean says, take one. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Hughes, Hughes, Hughes. My take is that Jerry causes such amazing chaos that he gets a slice of 15% more of the plurality pie. I'm going to go somewhat improbable because Jerry Hughes has only gotten on the plurality pie significantly a couple times. And it's just fairly unlikely due to how much they rotate. And it's kind of a team effort up front for the Bills defense. He got a chance to kind of take over that Jets game and he showed up. So I'm going to say somewhat improbable. Take two. It's the year 2023, and QB Stew has developed with more data and matured into a statistic that ESPN now uses as their key quarterback evaluator. It is also used as the primary stat that pushes Josh Allen to win his first MVP award. This prompts more interest in Bruce, and Josh starts a charity fundraiser where if Bill's Mafia reaches $500,000, then the true identity of Bruce will be revealed. Bills fans, of course, raise a million, and the night comes, and Bruce is revealed and plays a round of mini golf with Allen at Punchbowl Social in Cleveland because it seems like a Bruce kind of place. The place is shut down due to max capacity. Only for Bruce to announce that it was actually his wife's cousin's friend at the event on the next podcast. But he was there. Maybe. P.S. Not a big college football fan, but good luck to the Buckeyes, as I know that would make the exclusives happy, particularly your better half based on the fandom pod. Yes, my wife is very anxious about the national championship game with the Bills against Alabama. First off, take uh, take two. We already talked about take one. Uh, take two, uh, highly improbable. <laughs> I love the fact that QB Stew gets its due. Oh, that's right. I rhymed. QB Stew gets its due in take number two. Oh, yeah. Three in a row. Feeling like Cole Beasley. Going to bust out some rhymes. Some MC blowhard up in this house. Anyway, I do think it's very interesting. I have said before that when I get 10,000 followers on Twitter, uh, there will be an elbow reveal. So that's about as much as I'm promising as far as that goes. Andrew says, hi, Bruce. My take is that Josh Allen's true arrival came when he started getting the Tom Brady-esque roughing the passer calls. His acting skills on those flops don't hurt either. I totally agree with you. You start getting those elite quarterback calls, that's how you know you've really made it. Plus, I'll level with you. I really feel like Josh Allen's one of those players where if he's not on your team, you freaking hate him. I just I just get that vibe. Like, he's just kind of a pesky and annoying, and he's got kind of swag. And if he's not on your team, you're probably like, gosh, that Josh Allen guy. He's such a schmuck. I can, I can imagine that. I agree. That's probably where Josh Allen really, really hit his stride. AJ says, Bruce, big fan of your podcast. Enjoy your take on the Bills and the rest of the NFL. I don't really have an almighty take. I just want your thoughts on Stephon Diggs being on the injury report all week with his oblique muscle. He was a do not participate Tuesday and Wednesday and was limited on Thursday. This hasn't been a topic of conversation on Bills sites or NFL news altogether. Is this concerning for the Bills going into Saturday's game or... Is this a precautionary measure of reporting by the staff? Also, will we see Kenny Stills Saturday due to the Diggs and Beasley injuries? Even if both play, I have a thought that Kenny Stills would still be called up and maybe snatch some playing time away from Gabriel Davis due to him being a rookie and Stills playing five playoff games and having 15 catches in his playoff career. Might give him an edge over the rookie. Either way, Josh has loads of weapons in his arsenal and looking forward to the potential damage this team can cause in the playoffs. Thank you for the podcast. Keep up the great work. Okay, first off, the Stephon Diggs thing. I do think it's just being cautious. I would be absolutely floored if he did not play to his fullest on Saturday. That's what I'm expecting. Stephon Diggs himself said that he was okay. So I don't, 
I don't anticipate anything else. I already mentioned the Kenny Stills thing. I think it's possible, but not probable, that we see a handful of Kenny Stills snaps on Saturday. But it seems like a kind of a let's reinforce the barricade for the playoff run. That sometimes can be an attrition if you have things that happen, especially with COVID. So that's my take on that. Nick says, almighty take, the Kenny Stills signing was not a hedge for Beasley or Brown injuries. It was a hedge against Gabe Davis not being able to step up to the intensity of playoff football. It will take him a game to get with it, but the rookie will come through and contribute to an epic Super Bowl run. I like this take. Reinforcements are about contingencies because it's impossible to know what exactly you're going to need reinforced. But when you consider the possibility that Gabe Davis is a rookie and wide receiver four on this team gets a fair amount of run, it's not a bad take. I think this is somewhat probable. Barry says, hi, Bruce. Enjoy your pod. No one else offers the depth of breadth of unbiased football knowledge you bring in week and week out. I appreciate that, Barry. My almighty take number one, Philip Rivers will throw two interceptions against the Bills and will win handily. Almighty take number two, Brian Dable will become Chargers head coach. He'll be pulling a Carolina on us, i.e. sign a bunch of Bills free agents. Growing up in Taiwan, I had no idea what American football was. I came to the U.S. in 1991 to attend graduate school. The Bills were always on television and always winning, so naturally I became a fan. I'm a fan of the Atlanta Braves for the same reason. Both teams did their fair share of breaking my heart. So excited that we finally found our franchise quarterback, making an otherwise dreadful 2020 exciting. I'm especially happy for Jerry Hughes, who spent the best part of his career enduring being on a bad team. One more question. There's the narrative that teams with good running games, such as the Titans and the Ravens, are a bad matchup for us. People seem to fear them even more than they fear the Chiefs. Instead of that bad matchup, shouldn't it be that they're just good teams and they're bad matchups for anybody? This kind of narrative bothers me, but I can't articulate it well. Keep up the great work. Go Bills. All right. First take. Phillip Rivers, two interceptions. Somewhat probable. I do think that the Bills have the right secondary and they're getting healthy to be able to force Phillip Rivers, especially if they jump out ahead, to be able to start to take risks downfield. Almighty take number two. Brian Dable, Chargers head coach. Somewhat probable. We've already talked about that before. In regards to the Titans and the Ravens being a bad matchup for us. Yes, they're a good team. But football, much like boxing, is about styles. It's about the things you do well versus the things the other team doesn't do well. And so I understand why people think that. Because the Bills' run defense overall, statistically this year, is eh, okay. And they saw on what the Chiefs were able to do without quite understanding the context of the Chiefs game. And they saw the Patriots rush for a lot of yards in their first game against us. And they thought, well, the Titans and the Ravens, they're going to smash them around. They don't realize that the Titans didn't beat us because of Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry didn't even actually have that good of a day against us. And the Ravens last year, there was an argument that the Bills put a blueprint out for specifically how to beat the Ravens. The Titans players talked about it in the playoffs, that the Bills were able to do it. They just didn't score enough points. So I understand where that comes from. I think that sometimes it's a little short-sighted, a little bit lazy. They kind of look at the overarching stats and that's it. They didn't actually watch any of the games, but they do this because of matchups, just like styles make fights. And in this case, the fighters are football teams. So I get it, 
because being good is not a binary. Being a good team, not all good teams look the same qualitatively. And so good teams like the Chiefs are not the same as good teams like the Ravens. They're both good teams, but they're not good teams in the same way. So I get it why they do it, and I really I don't have much of a problem with it. Rob, first of all, I'm a big fan. I've been listening on the network for many moons now. You have one of the most intelligent podcasts out there. Thanks a lot, Rob. I appreciate that. My Bills fandom started when I was in high school. I lived in Brooklyn, New York, but my dad was an English teacher and more interested in analyzing a clockwork orange or acting in Fiddler than in football. So my brother and I had to find fandom on our own and not through heredity. We did have football jackets. My parents ordered them from the Sears catalog. The kinds that were cloth material and they had vinyl sleeves. One was a Giants jacket and the other was a Jets jacket. My brother got the Jets and I got the Giants. He was also friends with a number of Jets fans and therefore osmosed into a Jets fan. My Giants jacket didn't take, so I was left without a team to root for. So I'm a sophomore in high school and the Jets start playing at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. So here I was, a proud New Yorker and two closest teams no longer playing in my state. I recall saying to myself that I needed a new team. I grabbed the sports page, closed my eyes, and placed my finger in a random spot on the page. The team closest to my finger was the Denver Broncos. While I decided to honor my random team selection, I decided I also wanted to root for the only team playing in my home state of New York. That was how I became a rare animal, a two-team fan. Within a few years after my team selection, around 1984, the Broncos got Elway and the Bills got Kelly. I then proceeded to lose a large number of Super Bowls over the next couple of years. During that time, I also started focusing more on the Bills and less on the Broncos, deciding to favor the home team aspect of the only true New York team. Josh Allen's out there winking and pointing a finger right now. I hardly think of the Broncos now, and I'm all in on the Bills. It's taken a long time, but my preference is starting to pay off. Oddly enough, I now live in New Jersey, the very state where the Jets and Giants play. Almighty take for round one of the playoffs... Jonathan Taylor rips up a fairly long touchdown run in the first quarter. Josh Allen rips off a fairly long touchdown run in the first quarter. Boasts 30-plus yards. Phillip Rivers throws two interceptions. Bills win comfortably. Thanks again for the great contact. Rob in Piscataway, New Jersey. Okay, first off, that's an awesome story. I love the stories. The stories are romantic. You know, we just hear the same things over and over again. Uh, my parents were Bills fans. I was born and raised in western New York. I moved away. Still a fan of the home team. The motherland, food, beef on weck, wings, buffalo pizza, sponge candy, the whole thing. And these are pretty cool. That's really awesome, too. All right. Jonathan Taylor ripping off a long touchdown run is not not crazy at all. He's got the speed to do it. He's been a home run hitter. I think that's somewhat probable. Josh Allen ripping off a fairly long touchdown run is a little bit less probable. He's been doing a lot less running recently. So I'm going to say somewhat improbable on that. Rivers throwing two interceptions. We already talked about that. I'm going to say somewhat probable. Bills win comfortably. It depends on your definition of comfortably. I think maybe eight to 10 points. So I'm going to say somewhat probable. Bay Area Bills says he's getting his almighty take in early this week. An early look at the weather shows Saturday at 1 p.m. is looking to be cold and quiet. 30 degrees and low winds. We like this. Why? No wind means a, means a big day for Josh. 350 and three touchdowns plus one on the ground. Indianapolis defense is pretty good, so expecting them to get one interception in the mix. Four different receivers tally 50-plus, and Diggs surpasses 100. Cold temps mean we're going to see a poor fill game. 220, one touchdown, two picks. He's not in San Diego or under a dome anymore. 
The Colts are going to lean heavily on the run game immediately, knowing it's been our Achilles heel this season, as well of, as well as one of their strengths. And it's going to work well for them in the first half, getting them 100-plus on the ground before halftime, keeping the game very close, and making us all a little nervous. But fear not, because these Bills make adjustments in the second half and minimize the run damage. These adjustments, in combination with the lead that the Bills begin to take, thanks to Allen in the pass game in the third quarter, forces Indy to abandon their run and for Phil to throw more where he begins to make some critical mistakes. Matt Milano gets an interception in the fourth quarter to seal the game and prevent any comeback for Indy, solidifying our first playoff win in 25 years. Bills 34, Colts 24, go Bills. Obviously, you parlayed a ton of things, so I have to say highly improbable. Like, there's a massive amount of parlaying involved. I wouldn't be upset if the game turned out this way because I'll take a W. However I can get a W in the playoffs, I'll take it. Do you remember earlier this year where I said how and why you win are more indicative of future wins than the fact that you won? Guess where that doesn't apply? The playoffs because you lose and you're gone. So however we got to get the win, I'll take it. Now I have my opinions on how to get it and we'll talk about those in a few seconds after the break, but I think it's highly improbable just because we parlayed so many things. Patch says, his almighty take is Brian Dable will remain the OC for at least one more season. Loyalty to the family is a greater motivator for him to stay. It is similar to Josh Allen staying at Wyoming for one more year. He will leave once Josh Allen is ready to succeed without him. First off, I'm going to say highly improbable. I think Brian Dable's probably gone. Also, how do we know Josh Allen's not ready to succeed without him now? I mean, is there something inherent about Brian Dable's system as it is right now, that means that Josh Allen can't play well in his absence. I'm not saying that it's not possible. I'm not saying it is possible. I'm just saying, I don't think we know for sure at this point that Josh Allen can't succeed without Josh, without Brian Dable, rather. I think it's wise to pay attention to that. But if Brian Dable leaves and Ken Dorsey gets promoted and Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey, of course, always already have the playbook, and they have a collaborative effort on the play calls, and Josh Allen is as smart as we all think he is, is it unreasonable to think that he could have a good season next year? I don't think it's unreasonable. I think I'd like to see it, but I don't think it's crazy to say. So I'm going to say highly improbable because I think Brian Dable's gone. Joe says, I think as the playoffs start and the Bills move through them, more teams are going to be looking for what the Patriots and Titans did, make the Bills run the ball. And if that's the case, Josh Allen will need to be utilized as a runner more often. That's his almighty take. It's harder than you think to make a team run the ball. It's a lot easier to make them pass it. But making them run the ball is tricky because you need to have all the right things go your way. Bill Belichick rolled out six defensive backs against the Bills. And they ran a lot, but that was because they were effective. If you're going to roll out six defensive backs, the Bills have the wide receiver weapons to just go 10 personnel and keep throwing. So the only reason why that kind of quote-unquote made the Bills run the ball is because they were going six defensive backs against heavier personnel. And the Bills were like, okay, if you're going to go six defensive backs against 21, then we're going to run the ball. But if they weren't effective doing that, they would have gone back to passing. So I do think it's difficult to make a team run the ball. I think it's a lot easier to make them be a little more conservative with their passing. You know, you play cover three, you play quarters, you play softer as far as the zone goes. But the way the Bills played the Chiefs 
wasn't really making them run the ball. It was inviting them and encouraging them to run the ball. So that's a very significant caveat to make there. So I'm going to say somewhat improbable because if it was that easy to just make the Bills run the ball, I think everybody would do it at this point. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to crumble some cookies. It's going to be awesome. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Let's crumble some cookies, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get it done. The first thing that I think the Bills should do to crumble the cookie of the Indianapolis Colts is dance with the one that brought you. The Bills have gotten to the point where they have a division championship and they have a home playoff game, and they did this in large part due to their passing offense and Josh Allen. There is very little reason to change that this week. We talked about it in the Almighty Takes. Unless there's something extreme going on, the Bills should be a passing team. There's no reason why they shouldn't be this year. The Colts, in the last three weeks, have given up 52.7 yards per game on the ground. That's very small. One of the best run defenses in the league over the last three weeks. And also, over the last three weeks, that same time period, they've allowed 301.3 yards per game in the past game. We don't have any extreme weather. This should remain the central piece of the Bills' attack. Pass, pass, pass. The second thing to take into consideration with the Bills versus the Indianapolis Colts is on the opposite side of the ball, and that's Phillip Rivers. I mentioned this when I was in the comments section listening to the Hump Day Hotline with Joe Miller and Jay Spence the King was in there as well and Clay Troya from Buffalo Fanatics. They were all in there on the Hump Day Hotline, which is a Wednesday live show on Buffalo Fanatics. And I was there chatting with the people in the comments because the Buffalo Bills have awesome content creators, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not the only one who's any good. 
that's unbelievably untrue. There are fantastic content creators all across the spectrum, depending on what you're looking for and what you're interested in. And we are unbelievably blessed as Bill's Mafia. I have been all over the country and the media and the content creation that the Buffalo Bills have is the best. Not good, not better than most, the best I have ever seen. And that's a testament to you and your willingness to consume the content. So, sorry I got a little off track there, but you need to know that you're listening to this because you think that my content's worth your time, but I guarantee you it's not the only content worth your time. So, in regards to Philip Rivers, I mentioned this at that time, and I said, Philip Rivers has seen a lot of defenses, and his ability to quickly process coverages allows him to get the ball out to running backs, Naheem Hines, Jonathan Taylor, Jordan Wilkins, Jordan Wilkins, on swing passes while they're still able to make plays after the catch. That's very important. It's not a matter of if you swing the ball out or if you check the ball down. It's a matter of when. Because if you do it crazy late into the play, then your receiver, in this case the running back typically, is not going to be able to do as much with it. But Phillip Rivers is able to process the coverages quickly enough that by the time he swings that out, which is usually very quickly... They still have distance between themselves and the defender, and they're able to make plays in space. Jonathan Taylor has done really well in that. Naheem Hines leads the team in receptions. You have to slow down the processing of Phillip Rivers. Slowing down the processing by giving him lots of things to look at and just making him a split second slower in determining whether that read is going to be viable or not is a big part of slowing him down. Rivers has a 108.2 passer rating when he gets rid of the football in under two and a half seconds. That's 17th in the NFL. 82.2 passer rating when he's forced to hold it longer than 2.5 seconds. That's 27th in the NFL. Make him hold the ball. Coverage is going to help the pass rush get there, not the other way around. Make him hold the ball. Throw every type of disguise you want at him. Not because he's not going to figure it out. He's Phillip Rivers. But because he's going to figure it out slower. So rotate your safeties. Dig into your bag of tricks. Because this is the week to do it. And Ladies and gentlemen. That's it. That's the end of our discussion. I will talk to you next week. And hopefully we will be celebrating a Bills playoff victory. But until I talk to you. You need to be prepared with this statement. Regardless as to whether it's you who needs to hear this or Indianapolis Colts fans who need to hear this. And that is this. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Ravens.
Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.